And that's another thing that I've often told students who feel like um, there's been some major disappointment, such as maybe they applied for the match program for a residency and they didn't get the one they thought. You know what? It always works out for the best. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Marn, a podcast show that attempts to pull back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin. So today's episode is unique, at least for me, for this podcast. The first aspect that's unique is that I'm going to be interviewing two guests at the same time. And the second part that's unique is that I will, um, the format follows uh, the older format of my original podcast episodes and so it has a different feel to it than maybe some of the more current or newer episodes what's really great about this episode is how you'll see how these two professionals use their degree to open up all these other opportunities for them they had each taken a long winding road to get where they are and along the way they have worn multiple hats professionally earned multiple degrees and awards my guest on this episode uh, is Dr. Ivy Peltz, a dentist, and Dr. Eric Studley, also a dentist. Their bios and resume is very thick, and I don't think I could cover everything in the brief amount of time that I have with you, but I do want to note certain accolades that stand out. And if you go to my website, you can definitely learn more about each of these guests in more detail. My first guest, Dr. Ivy Peltz, received her Bachelor of Arts degree in Psychology at the University of Albany, and she then got a dental degree at NYU. She also has a Master of Science degree in Education from Baruch College, and later in her career received a PhD degree in Higher Education from NYU. For almost two decades, she was the Educational Coordinator for the NYU College of Dentistry. She's received a number of awards written many articles, especially in coordination with her partner, Dr. Eric Studley, and has mentored hundreds of dental students through the years. My other and second guest is Dr. Eric Studley. At Adelphi University, he got a Bachelor of Science degree in biology, started his dental training or dental degree at university in Guadalajara, and then completed his dental degree at NYU. Like Dr. Ivy Peltz, he also worked at NYU College of Dentistry as an associate professor. And during that time, he was a director of ergonomics. He is also the CEO of a successful insurance brokerage company for several years, was and is the number one disability producer for Guardian Insurance. Also like Dr. Ivy Peltz, has tons of local, national, and international awards with a special emphasis for Dr. Studley in uh, disability. So a lot of awards through Guardian Insurance. He has been a speaker for insurance as well as risk and practice management, especially for dentists. And like Dr. Ivy Peltz, is a highly ethical blogger and writer. Several years ago, when they were in their 50s, they joined forces and founded together DocuPatients, which is a company similar to like eHarmony, but for dental jobs. There's a lot to take in from this episode. We're going to be talking about not only getting into dental school, the struggles of dental school, mentorship, being a woman in dentistry, achieving additional degrees like a PhD beyond a DDS degree, finding a second or third wind like uh, being a disability insurance agent, or being an entrepreneur and finding a and starting a new company. In the end, I think you're going to really take away something of value in this episode. So, let's jump into it. I just want to say that I think it's one of the most important things that we get to for a number of reasons. One is, I think most young people feel that when they're selecting a career, they're making a decision that's going to impact them for the rest of their lives. And not all of us have that um, singularity of dedication to to go to one place. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I became a dentist because I ran out of choices like in my head. And someone said, why don't you be a dentist? And I said, okay. And then... This is when you were a student, a high school student. 
that's my true story is that that's exactly what happened. I started preparing for the DATs. I went to dental school. I didn't know what any of it meant. I had been a patient in a dental office twice a year for, you know, my life. That's all it meant to me. So how did that come about? How did that idea even come in your head? Because you graduated dental school in the 1980s. Yes, 1983. And were there a lot of women interested in dentistry back then? I was one of 30 women in a class of just over 200, I think 210. So um, I was raised in a family where gender didn't matter. Um, We were taught from very early on that we could do anything we wanted to do. So the fact that it was a profession that had very few females really didn't matter to me in the slightest. But how did that opportunity even pop in your mind? You know, I was in college. I went to SUNY at Albany, and I was hanging out with people, and it was like, the end of junior year, you had to make a decision by then or you weren't going to, you know, what were you going to do when you graduated? You had to make a decision eventually. And I had sort of, I was a psychology major. I had taken all the science courses necessary to go in any direction that I wanted. But I also loved literature and English courses and I liked everything. I, it was very hard for me to pick a direction because any of the directions would have been good. So um, someone one day at just the right second, another college student said, why don't you be a dentist? And I said, okay. A college student is suggesting your career choice. (laughs) I don't even remember who it was. (laughs) I see. And you went with it. You just said, sure. I went with it and I... It worked. uh, It worked. I became a dentist, but... I can't say that at that time I was happy with that decision. I Mm. didn't really love going to dental school. And I, once I got out, I felt very insecure as a new dentist. And that was very hard for me. And it took going back to teaching to make me love dentistry. You actually did not love it for a long time. I didn't love it for 10 years. I wasn't unhappy, unhappy, but I wasn't thrilled. But after five years, I started feeling more confident and it wasn't, I didn't dislike it anymore. But it took 10 years for me to love it. And that was the result of teaching. Because teaching something, number one, makes you really learn it. And number two, um, well, if you don't have any passion, you shouldn't be teaching. So where I didn't have passion, I had to develop passion. Which leads me to your master's degree in education. Yes. When did that happen? Was that after, right after the dental degree? No. So I started teaching and then a few years after that, and I had also been, I, I, we are both very um, firm believers in lifelong learning. Both of us are. So at the same time that I was working on a master's in higher education administration, I was also working on a master's in the Academy of General Dentistry. (laughs) So I was, again, you know, working in two directions, and I got both. Mm -hmm. But that was after I started teaching. I wanted to challenge myself in the dental arena, as always. And I also felt, now I'm teaching, but I have no certification as a teacher. I I, here I am. I, I'm from a world of certification where to be a dentist, you have to be licensed and you have to pass board exams. And now I'm teaching people that's a responsibility, too. And I have no formal training in that. So I wanted some formal training. When you finished dental school, you went straight into private practice. I know you had like six jobs. Yes, I had six jobs in my first year which is very common for new dentists um, because often it, it's not as common. Is it as common anymore? A little bit less simply because of, you know, the corporate. Um, so they're signing people up more on a full-time basis kind of thing. But when we graduated, um, we found a job that. mainly by word of mouth or really, you know, putting your, your you had to walk here. from office to office and, yeah. you know, just try to meet people. And um, it was much easier to hobble together a few part-time jobs. So it was very typical to um, start with one thing and leave and then 
take another or have a few at the same time. So in my first year, I had six different jobs. And then I found a job that I enjoyed in a private practice. And I stayed there for four years. And then I started my own practice. And the interesting thing to me about you, Ivy, is you got a PhD in higher education, I think in your 40s. Uh, actually, I was, I think, 56. I'm not very good with dates, but I think it may have been 2015, which would have made me 58. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here's someone who's a professional. They work, work at Dennis. And we, by the way, I will have mentioned in your bio about you have all these awards and responsibilities, and you were even in charge of education at NYU for a number of years. And here you decide you want to go and get a PhD degree in education. And I was just had another interview, actually a podcast. Someone told me that they're a, they're a physician, but they, they'd love to get a PhD. And I could sense that it was, it's a lot of time to do that. It's hard to do that when you have a lot of responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So why did you do that? I was living in the world of academia. And when you're in academics, you really, those degrees count. So when I started pursuing a PhD, I would say there were two reasons. One was this desire to move up in my world, which required a higher degree. And a PhD... Even at 56? Yes. Well, I needed it and I wanted it. I also love being a student. I like studying. I enjoy the challenge of it. I like taking exams. I'm a weirdo. So, um, Aren't we all? So it's a place where I feel very comfortable. I like being in a classroom. Father's accomplishments were totally a driving force. So my father got a master's and then a PhD and then uh, became a high school principal. And then at age 55, got a law degree and became a lawyer. And he still practices. He's just stopping <laughs> practice now. So I had a little, you know, a PhD is the highest degree that you can have. So my DDS, eh, who cares about it? My father. Sorry, Eric. D, so I no, I, I sit down at dinner and I'm like the lonely DDS. <laughs> you have the less, the least number of initials after your name. I have to use my middle name. <laughs> Uh, Eric, how'd you get started in dentistry? Because I don't think we ever talked about this. Right. Um, From, I think, probably 10, 11, 12 years old, I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, Any type of doctor? Any type of doctor. But it was like, I want to be a doctor. It was in my elementary school or remember the autograph books that used to sign? Yearbooks? (laughs) No, they were called autograph books. You you didn't have them. No. friends would sign and it would like you'd write down your what you want to be you know when you finish high school and everything and mine from like sixth grade on was always a doctor and it was a brain surgeon oh, okay i wanted to be a brain surgeon because um it was kind of what we were starting to you know growing up so you know our family nobody was from college so my brothers, my cousins, we were the first group that were all going to college. So I had an older cousin that was going to med school. So I kind of looked up, you know, to him as far as, well, you know, he's going to be a doctor. And so it can happen for us kind of thing. So school was literally the way to do it. You know, that was drummed in, even though my parents weren't college educated I don't know if my my dad eventually, I think, graduated high school, but education was important, but it was more important, I think, for my brother and I. There was three of us, but two of us thought, you know, education was our ticket, Mm. was was really as simple as that, Mm -hmm. right? It, It was our ticket out. Working, you know, throughout, my grades were always, you know, top in the class, but my science grades were not good. You know, I was an A-plus student and everything, B and, you know, somewhere in there on the sciences. So by the time I was in my senior year of high school, I guess I kind of determined I, I won't have the grades for that. So I went in business and I was taking college AP classes in high school towards business. I got a scholarship 
um, to Adelphi. Um, I was either going to Queens College or whoever gave me money. Um, that was going to be my alma mater. That's pretty good that you got a scholarship. Right. So, you know, it, it may, you know, really helped, you know, lived at home. You know, Ivy was talking and was like, didn't you want to go away? Like, we didn't even know that you can go away. Believe me, I would have went away. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, <laughs> you know, but like it wasn't my older brother didn't go. He went to Queens College. So I was going to go to Queens College or, you know, because it was like, you know, $32 a credit back then. There's a lot of history in your family staying nearby. Oh, totally. And your mom, I know, was a very strong influence in you. Yes. Everybody stayed close, you know, even later on when I always said, even after I graduated, I had a restrictive covenant from my mother, how far I could work from her. <laughs> like I couldn't go to Jersey. Either. Not in writing, but in blood. No, please. <laughs> you know, you didn't need it in writing. So I had gotten accepted to Adelphi, going with a business major. While in high school, I also had like a, a minor in art and languages. So with art, I would sculpture with anything. You were into sculpturing? Yes. Your garbage, I could turn into something. But what would you work with? Clay or stuff you just find either um, randomly? Jewelry. Um, so I made jewelry. I set stones. I made crazy sculptures out of spoons hubcaps, garbage, whatever it was. This was the 70s. Um, but then what I also did was on the weekends, I would then take my jewelry and go sell it at all the beauty parlors. And so I, you know, that's how I got into that. When my younger brother was getting his braces taken off, they were using silver wire back then. So I tell him when they take the braces off, tell him I want the wire, you know? So this orthodontist, calls the house and says, you know what? Why don't you come in? I want to see your stuff. So I, I bring him my jewelry stuff. So he knows you're using his extra wire. Right. And But he still wants to meet you and kind of see what you're doing. Right. Okay. So I, I come in, I show him my, my jewelry, my, some of my sculptures. And he's like, you know, you have great manual dexterity, which I had to look up. Because <laughs> um, I wasn't sure if it was a dental disease or something. But... <laughs> And he said, what, what are you going to college for? And I said, business, accounting. And he said, you should be a dentist. I was like, yeah, my grades in science. He goes, what's your average? I'm like, 98. He goes, you could learn. You could study. I literally went home. I called Adelphi. I switched to pre-med. And I said, could I switch my major and still get the scholarship? And they were like, sure. So I became pre-med, pre-dent. You know, but... You know, I, obviously I always wanted to go that route and I just needed somebody to kind of say, you can do it. Uh, you know, like, don't worry about what's on the paper and stuff like that. Go for it. So, you know, I graduated from Adelphi. I applied to dental school. Unlike Ivy, I didn't have that path. I didn't get accepted. Oh, I applied all over the country. I got one interview. Where was it? And were you? Okay. And they told me, thank you, but no thank you. Maybe come back next year. So I was working full time. I was a bartender, you know. So they're saying no. Tons of schools saying no to you. and But you were still like, I'm going to try to go for it. Oh, yeah. Even when I left NYU, I said, thank you, and I'll see you next year. And I remember the dean of admissions she said to me, why are you thanking me? I was like, because now I know what I have to do. And she's like, but I'm not accepting you. I said, you'll see me. <laughs> you did not. Oh, yeah. No, I was very, like, I will, I will be there. So I applied again the following year. I got an interview this time at Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Roberts University in Oklahoma. Okay. And I also got an interview at NYU. Again. Right. Again, I go to my Roberts interview and... That didn't go well. I, I seem to not I think they made a mistake interviewing me, like and my demographics. We'll just be that. Okay. Yes, it was quite obvious. Was it uncomfortable? For them. For them, because I don't think they ever saw someone from where I'm from. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. 
And then I go to my interview in Berkeley. Right. <laughs> and then I go to my interview at NYU, same dean of admissions. And this time she actually, she's like, wait, you were here last year. And I was like, yes. Yeah. She goes, what are you doing here now? I said, you called me in. Like, I, <laughs> like, I, like, and she's like, you know what? You're still not accepted. Like, you just, you know, you, you don't have what it takes. This she, Denied two times now. Yes, two times. Same person. So once again, I said to her, thank you, and I will definitely see you again. I left there, I applied out of the country, and I went to dental school in Guadalajara, Mexico for two years. So you actually got accepted to dental school in Mexico. Right. Before you even got there, how did you not lose track of your goal? Because it, it was, I was looking much further down, way down further in my life not tomorrow, like, I'm going to do this. And first of all, I had to do it because, you know, the other alternatives were not great, you know, not being a professional. I, I didn't want to have that hustle type of job. I wanted the feel of a professional. I had worked at parking cars at a country club for three years, through high school and a little bit of college. And I used to ask all these people, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a dentist. Oh, I'm a doctor. Oh, I'm a lawyer. I'm, an, I'm a CPA. And it was like, okay, so I could be a doctor, a lawyer, a CPA. Like, really, I'm going to have one of those license plates, you know, because they, they weren't any smarter than me, and I don't think they would work any harder. And, you know, how long it took. So it took me six years to get my dental degree. Mm. But I got a career. Mm-hmm. I never had a job, really. Uh, I, you know, I, I had a job through college, whatever. Yeah. But I haven't had a job like since. Yeah. Because I've had a career. What were you doing differently during those two years or so that allowed you to eventually get into NYU from University of Guadalajara? Every year while I was now in Guadalajara, I kept applying back to NYU. <laughs> So I think they had a picture of me like it was posted, you know, you had to send a picture in every application. Repeat offender? I was I was totally the repeat offender. Um, but at that time, you know, you would hear that maybe somebody wouldn't take acceptance, like bail out, you know, two days before class starts. So Georgetown used to come down to Mexico and interview us. And sometimes, you know, couple of people, you know, they had four openings. They took, you know, that kind of thing. Well, the second year that I was in dental school there, NYU had a number of openings. I get a call on a Friday night. I had already started my next semester. At Ingl I'm in, in Mexico. Mexico. I'm in Mexico. I get a call Friday night and it was, are you still interested? And it was like, really? I thought it was a prank call even. And I was like, of course. They were like, well, we'd like to accept you. Can you be here Monday? Wow. Sure. You know, not a problem. Um, can you come up with, I forgot how much money. And I was like, not a problem. It wasn't a problem because there was no way I can come up with the money. So it was going to be their problem, not mine, <laughs> at least initially. And I sold, I had a car down in Mexico. I sold my car. I sold my part of my house because I shared with, you know, four yeah. people and I didn't tell my parents and I just left and I showed up in their house at like two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and I wake up my parents and I tell my mother, I was like, Ma, you know, I got accepted to NYU and Richard, I'm not making this up. My mother, typical, what does she say? That's so nice, but we can't afford that. And I was like, Ma, I got loans. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> you know, really, that, that was my thing. And then I'm like, Ira, wake up. You gotta wake up. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was my foray through dental school. When you, after you finished dental school, you started working as a dentist immediately right. in, in your own? I also had like five, six jobs. Yeah. Um, then dwindled it down to one. Um, but I only worked for people for 11 months, and then I bought my office. When did you start teaching at NYU then? The day after graduation. So I started immediately, a day a week, first 
it was a volunteer position. They didn't pay me. And then the following year, I got a raise to $70 a month. Yes. Impressive. Yes. It cost me more if I ate. But I always taught from day one. You know, like Ivy, I didn't learn enough in dental school. There was so much more to learn. I learned basics. And, you know, I did well. But I had to be the expert, you know. And what we learned in graduating, I learned pretty much everything of modern dentistry, well, all of modern dentistry after graduation. You know, we graduated. I didn't learn implants until after graduation. Well, most of what exists now actually did not exist when we graduated dental school. So um, if we hadn't kept up with continuing education, which was very easy in in a dental school, um, if we hadn't done that, we'd be te- we'd be practicing what we learned back um, in the eighties. Yeah, eighty three. So right, or what you maybe pick up a little bit in a CE course. Yeah, I mean everything that we had to teach the students, we had to learn first. Mm-hmm. Like how great was that? Mm-hmm. And then it got, you know, we got to constantly reinforce, reinforce because when you're now teaching and you're reinforcing, it's just reinforcing it back to yourself, and for me teaching right off the bat and then being in private practice, I think I like matured, you know, 10 years in one year, you know, cause you're, you're getting so much responsibility and I threw myself in at the school as well. You know, I'm not the kind that just sits back and as different opportunities started at the school, I took advantage of them developing the practice management course. So I developed, 70-hour business curriculum at the school um, that I was the director of. I then, you know, I was also director like Ivy of the clinics. Um, then I also taught ergonomics, you know, and... But by the way, what is that? Ergonomics? The, it's the improper way that you're sitting while you're speaking to us. <laughs> it's, it's creating an environment. That's why I usually have the video off. <laughs> It's creating an environment that al- that allows you to work most efficiently and effectively. So it's not just the specifically for dentistry, right? But it's, so it's, it's every it environment. It includes posture and exercise and the but also music your environment, you're right? The lighting, the lighting, the and, flow of the office. Right. Huh. You know, that's the whole thing. You ever see like people? They do like, oh, my office. It's it's feng shui. You know, it's set up like yeah. in a flowing kind of aura pattern. You know, you also needed to flow with the procedures. The procedures, so right? So that you're not like wrenching your body and to get things, and everything makes sense. When you guys finished dental school, was it in both your mindset? Was it the idea that you were just going to be a dentist for the rest of your life, and that was just what you're going to do, or you guys actually had other ideas beyond dentistry? No, I had two things in mind. Number one, that I had to be a teacher. I started teaching in my senior year. So I was already being groomed in my last year to start teaching, you know, in the clinics. Normally they put you up, you know, on bench labs and stuff. So I knew that I was going to stay attached to the academics. But I also, when I graduated, I had a huge business plan. My, my plan was to own 10, 12, 15 practices. That's why 11 months out of school already had bought and bought you know, a large multi-chair, I had a comprehensive practice, you know, I had every specialty under the sun. This is in the early 80s. Yeah. Before certain things happened in my life, I was already negotiating the, the next space, you know, in another city. So that's where I was headed. You know, that was my plan, business and then the business of dentistry. What happened? Because obviously you're, you're doing, you did something a lot different in a few years after that. Well, you know, we make plans. And God laughs. And God laughs. So he had a real good laugh. So during my career, you know, I would say almost 10 years in, started having problems, my hands, um, ended up having to go through 12, 14 different surgeries. And over a two, three year period, I had to then stop practicing. How many years after dental school is this? Probably upwards of about 10. Okay. And just for the record, I know you were very athletic back then. Yes. Working out, running. I had run three marathons. 
training every single day. When I was in dental school in Mexico, I was light middleweight boxing champ at the dental school. Not just the other dentists, you know, because that would have been easy. This was university-wide. <laughs> Somebody once said, that, oh, you fought other dentists. Come on. Oh, little, you know, you want to protect your hands. They can't be jabbing you too bad. What med students, you know, it was like everybody, this was a fair kind of bout. So unfortunately, I had to stop practicing. It was that bad. It was that bad. I had to sold the practice. I was always teaching. At that point, I was able to get promoted to an assistant professor. Uh, they, they gave me three days a week. But, you know, once again, it's really not financially able to, to, raise, a, to raise a family, yeah. you know, to really live, especially in New York. Yeah. So I had to find, you know, another outlet. And with my dental training, I thought I'd have so much more opportunities, whether with pharmaceuticals, um, dental companies. And I really found that I really didn't. Either they felt that after they would train me, I couldn't earn enough, so I'd leave, or I would be bored in the position, you know, because I'm used to being in charge, and now I'm just going to be, you know, one of 800 kind of thing. So I was having difficulties with my own insurance policy and it was suggested, why don't I go and do insurance, which is something that I hated. <laughs> By the way, totally different. Right. Than to insure an opportunity and how I could be different and went back, got all the licensing. I spent another three years working for different insurance companies um, while I was also getting promoted at the dental school. And eventually, I ended up opening my own insurance brokerage company, which now we're going to be turning almost 30 years old. And we've built a very nice nationally based insurance company that specializes you know, with healthcare professionals. My way of being able to still tie in dentistry prior to retiring, I then became full-time director, associate professor, you know, and, and really was able to work everything and finish well. So just to review, Ivy, you, you have a DDS degree, MS degree, PhD. You're in private practice, yeah. educator. And also we didn't talk about much, but also a frequent speaker. You were associate professor at NYU. Uh, you were the education direct coordinator at NYU Dental School for 18 years. And numerous awards locally and nationally and published numerous articles and blog posts. Yeah. And then with Eric, you got also a, a DDS degree. You were associate professor at NYU, uh, director of ergonomics, CEO of a brokerage company that we just talked about for insurance, insurance brokerage company. And also you were the number one or are the number, number one disability producer of Guardian, tons of Guardian awards, even a disability quality award and life insurance quality award from the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors. I think that's an independent company, yes. organization. And of course, you're an educator, speaker, especially for risk management and insurance, especially geared for dentists. And of course, a blogger, writer, and numerous awards. So when someone asks you what you do and they don't know you, what do you tell them? I usually say I'm an educator. But I think I most strongly identify as a dentist, to tell you mm -hmm. the truth. And what about you, Eric? I most of the time, because, you know, sometimes also looking at this, it's like, what is this? Like, what does this do? And I say, I... And not to sound corny, I, I help people. Mm. I, I really kind of leave it at that. You know, it's funny, at the beginning, when I first started doing the insurance, more than I was doing the dentistry, and when I had to stop practicing, people mm -hmm. said, what do you do? And I would say, I'm a dentist, and I sell insurance, okay? <laughs> doesn't, usually have the real, doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? Exactly. Mm -hmm. But then when mm -hmm. I became comfortable, and now when people would say, it was like, I'm an insurance brokerage and I'm a retired dentist, especially if you have to do the crossroads of changing careers mm. you know, and you've been identified, you know, when you're a dentist, a physician, you get that title, you know, it's, it's Dr. Richard, yes. Dr. Ivy, Dr. Eric, you know, now you're still doing something as important, you know, if it's in finances or anything, but 
if you don't have that doctor, you almost feel like, wait, do I still have that same importance? And that took me more time. Because once you get that doctor, you know, come on, the white coat ceremony, you put that coat on. We grew up watching Marcus Welby, MD, you know, put on that coat. The doctor is here. I park cars at the country club and oh, get the doctor's car. I never heard them say, get the insurance guy's car. You know, <laughs> get the guy who owns 800 pizza restaurants, get his car. Right. It was always get the doctor's car. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of get trained to that. And for me, it's the reverse because along with the title comes responsibility. So depending on the setting, I don't always want to be subject to the responsibility of saying, you know, I'm a dentist or whatever. I'd rather just have people think I'm a teacher and leave it at that. And then as we get to know each other, I can decide how much to divulge to them. Different approaches. So now you guys... In your 50s, if I'm correct about that, you guys started oh. Oh. <laughs> Docupatients, yes. which is kind of like eHarmony for dental jobs. Exactly. Yes. yes? Is there another way to describe it in more detail? Yes, that's it. Um, we are an online algorithmic dental job matching service. So we take dental employers dental jobs and we match them with the employees that they're looking for, just as you described. So um, the participants, both sides, fill out a profile and our algorithm matches them up together based on people. Because you're mentoring, you're advising, you came up with this basically a startup company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, what happened was we every year we had students graduating and they had no clue how to look for a dental job because it wasn't part of what they were taught or had ever experienced. So, and then on Until Eric's, I started teaching. Until he started teaching, right. And then he would tell them, but you know, some students, not all, didn't go to class. So <laughs> on the insurance side, he was getting requests all the time from employers, dental practice owners who needed new associates or uh, dental hygienists or dental assistants. So it just seemed to, like this was a big void in our industry. Like I just started posting, you know, someone would call me, oh, you know what? I, I need a, a pedodontist, you know, you know, a young pedodontist right. for work. So we would just throw out, you know, Dr. Smith in Manhattan is looking for a pedo. We just put it on our website. Email. And I'd send it out to my clients. Right. I remember that. Let them put it together. Great. You know, it, it creates business, creates community. Great. And then, you know, I was doing it for a while. And at a certain point, I had more jobs posted than the ADA. The American Dental the, Association. Right. Um, so I get approached by this lovely young woman <laughs> who says, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, why don't we do this formally? You know, because I was only working 90 hours a week at that point. I had only I had read a newspaper article about somebody who did something just like that for college students graduating. So I thought this is exactly what we need in this profession. Everybody doesn't know where to go to find each other. Right. This is just a way to find each other. You try to solve a problem, which is what entrepreneurs do. Right. Yeah. For the younger generation, the pre-health, are there any particular things you advise them about or keep in mind in the decision-making process of becoming a dentist, for example? I think so. Uh, one of the first things that I think of is... Why are you doing what you're doing? Who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for you? Are you doing it for your parents? Is this something, is it a road that you're on because somebody else thinks you should be on it? I think that might be okay. I'm not, there's no good or bad here, but I think it's important to identify why you're doing what you're doing because um, after all of our years of teaching, I would say that as a pretty regular rule, the students who were not succeeding were not succeeding because they were there for the wrong reasons. They weren't there because they wanted to be there. They were there because they were expected to be there for one reason or another. So I think before you start, that's important to decipher because um, I think it's highly um, related to failure. So the motivation. Yes. Truly understanding that. Yeah. I think also if they're really 
looking for the right mentor. And they should start, and it should start in high school. Um, I know I was volunteering in high school at the hospital on Fridays. I, I was in the medical clinic, the dental clinic. You know, they always take these volunteers. So I already started to get, like, the feel uh, of it. Immerse yourself in it. In other and then I started, like, you know, you go to your family dentist even and say, hey, can I come in, you know, and, and just see some of your stuff? And dentists love that, you know, because it also makes the patients feel, oh, look, you're teaching. Like, that's pretty good. So they, they need to throw themselves in because I've also seen some high school students who thought they would love this. And afterwards, it's like, you know what? Not for me. You know, I thought it was going to be a certain other way. And then it turns back, you know, it's the same thing. I, when I was, I did an externship with pedo and it was like, I want to be a pedodontist, period. That's it. Pedo is my calling. My first semester in dental school, pedo, I knew that I did not want to be a pedodontist at all because it was just two differences, the reality and, you know, it just wasn't for me, but it was great that I had got to have that experience. And I think these kids should experience because they rush too fast to solidify. You know, they, they, they choose majors so quickly. They, all these things. And if you're going to go to dental school, well, volunteer at the hospitals. You know, all the hospitals have hospital residencies. The dental residencies, they love these kids that come in. Um, what a great experience and they could really see. And then they also talk to people, residents who are not that much older than them, you know, maybe only eight or nine years older, as opposed to some of us mentors who are like 40 years older than them, you know? So, you, you know, they get to connect with somebody in the trenches. You've seen hundreds, maybe thousands of dental students come through yes. over the years. Thousands. Is there a particular skills that allow some students to be more successful than others? Yes. I think the two skills, you, I, I think everyone would imagine that I'm going to say hand skills, but no. Well, like Eric, you know, very right. good manual dexterity. That certainly helps, and it's hard to do anything without it. However, I think communication skills and organizational skills are the two most important keys to success in dental school, mm -hmm. and I can't decide which is first. Poor communicators, it's very difficult for them to relate to patients, to relate to their peers, to relate to their faculty, and they often get in their own way. And organizational skills, if you're not organized, it's, gonna, it's much more challenging mm -hmm. because there's a lot of material and you have to be very organized to get through it all and learn it properly. And the, just the daily schedule can be very rigorous as well. You guys have been through a lot of different changes in your career. Yes. If you could go back, was there anything you would do differently? Um, I know that I probably would have practiced differently. I would have paid... Dentistry, you mean? Yes. I would have paid a lot more attention to my body. I graduated, you know, came out of the block working 21 days a month without a day off. Like, I, I didn't take care of... You know, I took care of all my dental instruments. I didn't take care of the main instrument, you know, the guy that held all those instruments. And, you know, you really kind of think that you have a certain type of invincibility yeah. that you don't expect to. As I said, I ran the marathons, I boxed, you know, this is not, not me kind of thing. And I, I would have... You know, if now also teaching ergonomics and practice management, I, I, I would have realized that I still would have reached my financial goals if I just would have practiced a little different, you know, a little more time, a little more downtime kind of thing. Um, and that's where I use school. School was my downtime from practicing. Really? Yes. It wasn't like my days off when I first started, and then there were any days off that I would have taken. I was now at school. As someone who sell, sells insurance, how do you convince someone who's young to get insurance? What do you tell them? Because you're in the risk 
management kind of occupation. And when young people, they don't worry about that as much. Right. The, the unfortunate thing, you know, the, like nothing could ever happen. And I hate to use myself as the story. You know, there are times somebody will say, wait, wait, didn't I, I think I heard that this is what happened to you, you know? And it's like, yeah, because it's more, you know, and, and I, and I do it similar to you go and get a car. You can't leave the dealership without insurance. Yeah. A piece of metal that is actually worth less as soon as you insure it. Whereas you get your dental diploma, the minute you walk out of the building, you are worth more. All right. You are now a greater asset. And how not to think about insuring your greatest asset. And that really is. And I think as long as it's explained properly, the benefits of what insurance is, you know, then it's understandable. It's no different. And also being a dentist, or what do I say this to, if you explain to a patient and they don't understand, what do they then say? All right, now nah, forget about it. No, it's no different with us. Once we're out of our comfort zone and we don't understand something, I could still give you an answer. No, because mm-hmm. that'll work. So it's just in anything, dentistry, insurance, unimportant. Just need to be able to, if you could explain to the person, They'll trust you, and and then they'll see the value of it. And I still remember that when I graduated dental school, I was I absolutely felt the need to have disability insurance. I was terrified about the possibility yeah, I, that I might not be able to work for any period of time, and I had these loans to pay off. So dental school is expensive, mm-hmm. and it's very expensive. <laughs> and if you become a dentist you will not have trouble paying those loans. It's a very good financially lucrative profession to go into. But if you don't become a dentist, it's like a home mortgage. So to not get disability insurance was a terrifying prospect for me because you're walking down the street, anything could happen. You know, you're out there. It's a dentistry is very dependent on your physical wellness. You have to be well to practice dentistry. Yeah, I think I also had faculty that were like, you, you will get disability insurance. Like, you know, when I was a graduate, like, you're going to get that. And, you know, then others too. It was like 9 million people told me, you're getting that. Like, you have to get that. I got that. I got life insurance. It, that became now being a professional, mm-hmm. right? So now I stepped in as a professional. Professionals get disability insurance, they get life insurance because you have to have malpractice insurance. It like comes with the, you know, the worksheet of being a professional. What if you don't have a six-figure career? You still recommending disability and life insurance for people yes, like that? Absolutely. You know what? Because- what what do you tell people who who don't necessarily make the six-figure job? You know what? I, I was speaking to a client yesterday who might have had the option to increase, you know, their policy at a certain point, but unfortunately didn't. And now is on claim and collecting. And the first thing that I hear, I wish I would, I wish I, I w- everybody wishes they did. And you know what, Richard, insurance, I have a ton of it. Yeah. You have a ton of it. Ivy has a ton mm-hmm. of it. Guess what? I hope it's our biggest waste of money. Really? You know, you have car insurance. Do you say, oh, you know, again, we didn't use it today. You know, we didn't have an accident. Oh, this stinks. You know, really, your malpractice insurance. Again, we didn't get sued. You know, this policy is a waste of money. Guess what? Thank you for being a professional. And that's really what it is. And disability, you know, everybody. So people that live extremely well on 60,000. Then you got to insure sixty thousand. Right, that's what I was going to say. It like, doesn't matter. Doesn't Whatever matter what you're it is. earning. You need to earn it to live in the style that you're accustomed to, or to pay your bills. Yeah. And without it, you're going to struggle because most dentists not not so much. Again, with corporate dentistry, things are a little bit different now. But most dentists are employed by themselves. Even if they work for another dentist, they're called independent contractors and they're responsible for, they don't have a salary. They're on stuff. Something happens to them. No paycheck. Right. 
So mm. it's uh, once you realize that, if you don't know that when you're in dental school, if you once you realize that, once you get out, it's foolhardy not to have insurance to insure yourself. I wanted to do it in dental school because the debt is accruing. Right. What if something, you know, you go skiing, you hurt your hand, you break your wrist. You, We've had students who were in bike accidents right after they finished and lost use of an arm. You can't practice like that. So it's just one of the things that you have to do, right. as Eric was saying, as a professional. How do people find out more about your careers as a resource just go to the ada as a dentist as far as like what learning about dentists yes they want to learn more because you know if you're high school students and college students yes yes so there are the ada is the primary source for sure um there's a whole student section i believe from yeah. prospective students and all they're right, very well they organized want, they want them to connect with them also a lot of dental schools have programs I know NYU had a program I was involved in on the weekends, remember? And the students would come in. We, we'd let them take out impressions. Well, we also had a mentoring program right. where we had high school students come in. So they can call the dental schools if they're interested as well and see if they have any kind of mentoring program or if they're allowed on the press. Yeah, Ivy and I used to have a, a volunteer program, the cutest ever. And she's actually graduating this year from your group. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get a maybe a call or an email. I don't even remember way back when. And it was the cutest little letter. And she's like, I'm 14 years old, <laughs> but I wanted to be a dentist. Like, you know, can I, I heard you have a volunteer program. Can I come in and volunteer? And I'm like, you know, this is so cute, but I can't have, she's 14. Yeah. You know, you had to be 18 or older, you know, but I couldn't just squash her. Because that would have destroyed. So I said, why don't you come in with a parent and I'll let you spend the, the morning, you know. Anyway, we arrange it. She comes in. Her father took off from work, Richard, so that his daughter could spend the, the morning with me. Guy took off from work. And this, you know, everybody's working in this family. So it was not like, you know, he owns his own business. He had yeah. to take off from work. This skinny little girl. Oh my God, Richard, the cutest thing. I put a coat on her, <laughs> bulky gloves, the mask hanging off her face. And she traveled the clinic with me for two and a half hours. This is at NYU. Yes. Okay. She ends up, she went to Bronx Science. All right. Smart girl. She got into the seven year program oh. at NYU. And she oh. was actually. Now, I hadn't met, seen her again in years. She was this little thing. All of a sudden, this like five foot 11 woman, it's like, Dr. Stubbley, don't you remember me? And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't. Um, she's, and she tells me, she was, I, what coincidence, Ivy student and, and from 14, and now she's graduating this year. How great is that? You, you, you got her on the right path. And maybe if somebody didn't let this kid in, she would have said, oh, dentists aren't nice. Mm. Really? So I let them, they, you know, they have to find the right ones. They connect with the right people. They could end up really loving the career. Ivy, at the beginning of this podcast or the, you know, this conversation, we were talking about how you guys have a lot of different hats and, and such. You guys have any last minute thoughts about where you are in your career and how you got here. And especially when you were talking to high school students and college students. I think it's important to remember when you're making these decisions that feel so weighty and important and like they're going to impact your whole entire life to realize that um, just because you're on one path doesn't mean it's not going to veer off into others. And I didn't get a chance to answer you earlier when you asked if I would do anything differently. And no, I really wouldn't because I believe that every step that I took was necessary to get to the next step that I took in my life. And I'm, I have wound up in a very, very happy place. Um, and I've enjoyed immensely my long career. And there's nothing that I would want to change because 
I think that everything was meant to be exactly the way that it was. And that's another thing that I've often told students who feel like um, there's been some major disappointments, such as maybe they applied for the match program for a residency and they didn't get the one they thought. You know what? It always works out for the best somehow. I don't know how, but it does. And they come back the following year and they're like, you were right because it was right for me. And maybe it's because whatever you get is what you get. So if you have a certain disposition, you're going to make the best of it no matter what. But I think that's really just the bottom line of it is that every step that you take um, is leading you somewhere. And if you, if, if you are the right kind of self-motivated kind of person, wherever it's taking you is going to be somewhere good. It may not feel good at the moment, but it's going to get good. So I think that's what's important to keep in mind. I, I would have to say is what I've been saying to all my clients um, when the pandemic started, you know, in the second week of March, you know, everybody was started the quarantine and, you know, it was the first time that really affected professionals, you know, physicians, dentists, you know, you never really heard of dentists closing down, mm-hmm. dentists being unemployed. Literally, the insurance companies were scrambling, like, how are we going to handle this? You know, because otherwise, if they're not paying policies. And so it was such a major craziness. But most importantly, and what I would constantly, my pep talks, you know, with all these young dentists and even older dentists and saying, but guess what? Thank God we don't have jobs because so many people are losing their jobs. Uh. Dentist, physician, you didn't lose your job. We, we just closed for a while. You know that vacation you wanted? All right, you didn't want it this long and you weren't necessarily financially, you didn't save yet for it. So you didn't prepare for the downtime after. But, you know, we started this with, you know, I planned and he laughs. Mm. It really shows because now economically dentistry is being used as the economic barometer for the growth of the economy. Mm. So when these dentists are like, you know, this is the worst thing that's ever, it's like, really, why is, why are they using dentistry as the growth of the economy? Not just of a little sector or this is the number. And, you know, dentists have reopened. It's coming back. It's coming back. And I really can only say you're, best job security is having a career. It really is. Because then once you have a career, like Ivy said, look what she's done. Look what I've done. Oh my goodness, where this career took me. But it still no, it still comes back to the same circle. Yeah. And give you a lot more flexibility. Right. No time was wasted. So I couldn't practice for a hundred years. All right. But you know, I, I still took dentistry in another way. And then I took my de- knowledge of the healthcare professional in another way. Still always worked with the same thing. No time was wasted. I could not have made it to this if I didn't have that. Like right. I said. As Ivy said too, it's it's education is very important for her. You, you can, early on. That's always the ticket out. It's never a waste. Education is never a waste. So we talked about how my age when I got my PhD. And I can tell you that from a professional standpoint, I never did anything with it. And most people, including the um, department where I got my PhD, would be appalled. They didn't even want to accept me at my age because that was exactly what they were afraid of, Mm. that I would just get this degree and maybe not necessarily make any contribution with it. But um, of course I've made contributions. I learned how to write well when I was in that program. And now we write, we have a wellness column for the, the Academy of General Dentistry has, uh, that comes out quarterly, our wellness column. Like there's plenty ways that I'm, I'm giving back with the information that I got from earning Teaches me every day. And, and it may not be. Teaches. <laughs> in quotes. The, um, <laughs> Everyone may not understand the links of exactly what it took, what which education contributed to which output. Right. But it's never. It's not so linear all the time. Yeah, it's always with you, and it's never a waste. Eric, Ivy, thanks for 
participating in this conversation. I really appreciate it. It was a Thank pleasure. You. Thank you so much. <laughs> nice spending Send time with you. Bye. All right, everybody. That's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmar.com or hcwithdrmar.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.